Director's Commentary, The Sheridan Monkhouse Collection. Hi, I'm Sheridan Monkhouse, and welcome to the Director's Commentary for the 4K remastered edition of my 1988 horror picture, Hellmare. I'll be continuing to release edited highlights of these commentaries as podcasts because I think it's important to share fascinating insights into the world of movie making with as many people as possible, even those who travel by bus. A warning though, we had to cut from the Interceptors podcast a terrific anecdote about Princess Anne and the dog from Turner and Hooch. You just can't fit in everything. So I'm not saying that if you're listening to the podcast you're going to have anything less than a marvellous experience but those people with the actual Blu-ray will be having a better one. Okay, okay, Hellmare. Now I'm going to say right off that The name was a problem, which I didn't see coming. To me, Hellmare was always a combination of hell and nightmare, which is literally the most frightening thing imaginable. However, an awful lot of people took Hellmare to mean some sort of infernal lady horse, but that's not the sort of mare I had in mind at all. So before we'd even started, I was fielding all sorts of dreadful questions about horse misogyny. In the end, I took out a full-page advert in Variety stating as plainly as I could that I, Sheridan Monkhouse, have no problem with horses who might happen to be females. And if they'd have wanted to make a film about a horse from hell, then it would certainly not have been gender-specific. I am fully supportive of all women, regardless of species. Now I can't be certain, but it could be that this upsetting experience was the source of rumours of a Hellmare curse. Do I think the production was cursed? Who can say? Certainly, the horse misogyny episode was a difficult period. Personally, other than that, the only negative experience I had on the film was a nasty graze on my knee, which I'm not sure if you can put down to a curse or not. I'm no expert on the black arts. Titles. I wanted to do something really innovative with the titles. Something narratively disconnected, but yet disturbing. We bounced around all sorts of different imagery. Some sped up film of butter going off. A really dusty room. An angry duck just going mad. Eventually, I settled on a blood-red typeface of the word Hellmare superimposed over a dark street with a fat, naked man hitting a tuba with a hammer. The imagery, the noise, profoundly unsettling. Now we meet the protagonist, O'Halloran. He's a computer programmer, but he's not a normal computer programmer. He's a maverick. He's disrespectful of authority, but he gets the job done. Now, the studio wanted O'Halloran to be a cop, but I thought, no. Remember, it was the 80s. Cops, they were very much more of a 70s thing. Chips, Starsky, and, to a lesser extent, Hutch, the cop from the village people. The 80s, it's hard to explain now, but at the time they seemed very, very modern. Sony Walkmans, microwave ovens, laser discs, everyone was very much in a techno future, and I thought by embedding O'Halloran in that future world of computers, it would become a much more contemporary, relevant situation. So bang, straight away we've got O'Halloran, and he's just going crazy at his boss, who's some sort of just unthinking bureaucrat, the kind of person O'Halloran has no time for. 
He doesn't care that this man's his boss. That means nothing, damn it. He's right, and he's not taking this man's BS. This is very much a... If there's any theme that runs through all Sheridan Monkhouse films, it's an affinity with the common man, which is something that I, on a personal level, have made it my business to maintain, no matter how successful I become. Yes, I was 1991's third biggest earner in Hollywood. Does that mean I don't have time for the guys who fish the gunk out of my pool? Absolutely not. And if they turn up an hour late, am I going to go crazy at them? Of course not. They're just people, like me. See? It's an affinity. Although, if it becomes a regular thing, then I might have to have a discreet word with their boss. But they'd have brought that on themselves. So out of the office, slam the door and bang, O'Halloran's in a hell mare. Brilliant. Disorienting. Surprising. We've barely started, but you're thrown straight into this terrifying situation. Now it's nearly 30 years on, but you can't tell me the hell mare sequences aren't still incredibly effective. One second, O'Halloran is in his boss's office, then, in a blink, he's in his hellmare. It literally is a vision of O'Halloran's own personal hell, except in the form of a nightmare. So the people have all become giant goblins? The office itself is just this visceral red horror of blood and actual guts, with all the waste bins on fire, and the whiteboards turned into... I think they're a sort of blacky brownie boards. It's actually quite difficult to tell, but it's very clear that no sort of marker could successfully write on them. Worst of all for O'Halloran, though, the computers have all turned into toilets. It's a very psychological thing. O'Halloran has no kids, no family. He's dedicated his life to computers. And what could be worse to a man like that than finding out that computers are just toilets? Personally, I think it's a chillingly effective metaphor for a middle-aged crisis. But some critics labelled the toilets childish and unbelievable. Now, I'm not one of those filmmakers who takes issue with critics. I think some of them, Matt Commode, for example. Some critics are really quite good. But the way I see it, I've got a yacht. Creating the Hellmere effects was obviously a huge challenge. But we had this genius special effects girl, Joy Funter. Incredible woman. She was best known at this point for her challenging and striking modern art. The life-size London bus made from human excrement. A pickled hippo. Milton Keynes. So it was her distinctive artistic vision that really drove the Hellmere sequences. One thing I should clear up here. In the Hellmares, we see a man with a shirt and tie and a goat's head. I want to make it clear that it wasn't a real goat's head, despite what you may have heard. Obviously not. That would be outrageous. I mean, we did try the scene with a goat's head, but it was appallingly uncomfortable for the actor involved, and the skin diseases he picked up were particularly virulent. So Joy created this terrifying vision of a hellmare with blood on the walls, waste bins on fire, and the weirdly coloured whiteboards. There was also some real detail that sadly doesn't show up. All of the notepads had swear words written on them, and the entire scene smelt of excrement. Joy was big on excrement. It was all part of her artistic temperament. Personally, I didn't enjoy it. I remember saying, Joy, I love your work, but it's film. We can't get the stench of excrement across in theatres. She walked off the set, set fire to my car, and I never saw her again. That really sums Joy up. A very confrontational artist, but clearly a genius. I mean, 
This was not a well-budgeted picture, but Joy's work really gave the Hellmares the look of a marginally less poorly budgeted picture. That was just a flash of O'Halloran's Hellmare, only ten seconds or so. Incredibly disorienting, so O'Halloran does the only thing he knows how to do to cope. He heads to a nearby dive bar for a drink. Even though it's 8.30 in the morning, that's O'Halloran for you. He's very much that sort of maverick computer programmer. O'Halloran was a tricky role to cast. We wanted Mickey Rourke. I mean, it was the 80s. Who didn't? He was interested, but he wanted to play O'Halloran as an 18th century Welsh tenant farmer. That was Mickey, always looking for an original angle on a role. We had a couple of long conversations about it, but we just couldn't come up with a credible reason for an 18th century Welsh tenant farmer to be a maverick computer programmer. We couldn't make it work, so he went off to do Angel Heart, which was an outstanding picture. Robert De Niro eating a boiled egg. Genius. In the end, we went with a new face. It was... Okay, so we were struggling after Mickey went off to do Angel Heart. Maverick computer programmer? It's a tricky role to pull off. Yahoo Sirius was interested, but, you know. So anyway, I was back in the UK. Richard Gere was looking for some nice wicker furniture. And so I said, Dick, we were close. Dick, if you want wicker, there's only one place to go. So I'm back in the UK at the sadly missed Habitat store in the Lakeside Shopping Centre at Thurrock. And Dick is having a wonderful time buying wicker furniture when all of a sudden, one of the shop assistants just goes crazy, shouting at his boss. It was... I remember this clearly. No way am I upselling an old lady a wicker armchair if she only wants a wicker stool. That's not who I am. That's not who we should be. And if that's what Habitat has become, then you can keep your £4.70 an hour. He ripped off his tabard, threw it to the floor and just marched out of there. Well, Dick and I just looked at each other and went, O'Halloran. He was called Roger Thorpe. He literally was O'Halloran. It was incredible. Yes, people say that the broad Essex accent was a problem with a hard-boiled maverick New York computer programmer, but I think that his performance holds a truth that stretches beyond accents. Obviously, Hellmare was Roger's only film. He had a raw animalistic talent, but his passion was wicker, and when you have a passion that burns like that inside you, you can't deny it. He opened his own wicker furniture shop in Guernsey. We stayed in touch. He'd send me a lovely wicker Christmas decoration each year, which I think says a lot about the man. He died in 2010 in a linen basket accident. Was that part of the Hellmare curse? I wouldn't like to say. It was just tremendously sad. Lovely, lovely, angry man. I have to say, Roger did outstanding work on this picture. We've only known O'Halloran for 20 minutes or so, but it's such a rich portrayal. We feel like we've known him for years. His maverick attitude to computer programming, his love of chicken Kievs, his hatred of apartheid and all injustice. And it's this richness of his character that makes it so easy to sympathise with his terrible plight as the Hellmares tear his life to shreds. He's reaching the end of his tether. He can't tell what's real or not. He can't enjoy a chicken Kiev. He'd have been fired but for that incredible scene earlier where he just tells his boss to stick his job and walks out, realising that dealing with his Hellmares is more important than the steady rise within his IT career. You see, horror, like science fiction, can be tremendously allegorical. And we see this here, this very real undercurrent of social commentary coming through. 
The Hellmare started at work. O'Halloran quits his work because, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. It's subtle. But I'm saying, there's more to life here than your career. Like, chicken Kievs and whatever else you enjoy. Unless you enjoy work. In which case, good luck to you. Anyway, enough with the philosophy. It's time to meet the woman who's going to turn O'Halloran's life around. Clara, played by the outstanding Bo Ryan. Wonderful actress, incredible presence. She really was something else. I mean, she didn't hesitate to tell you what she thought. I'd get on set and you'd hear, and I mean straight away, I hadn't even had time for a coffee. You'd hear, hey, where's that goddamn Mr. Chantry Fauntry? Because I was British. She'd storm through the crowds to me with whiskey on her breath and at least two cigarettes on the go and launched into a diatribe about the damn cheap-ass whiskey or the damn Andy Macassas or the damn human excrement. She actually had a point on that last one. Joy had moved on by this point, but the smell was proving difficult to disperse. Bo and I were briefly married after the picture finished. It was a wonderful fortnight. But I think we both realised it was a mistake when it became clear we had nothing in common and found each other profoundly irritating. Still, outstanding lady, outstanding actress, and a very sad day when she died in 2005. Liver cirrhosis. I mean, it could have been the Hellmere curse, but when you're mixing Glenfiddich into the milk you pour on your morning cereal, it's probably time to ask yourself some challenging questions. So the beautiful... Enigmatic Clara just suddenly appears opposite O'Halloran in his dive bar. It's very clever, you see. We never see her arrive. O'Halloran just looks up and she's there. It's subtle, but it's classic foreshadowing. She seems to know everything about him. The Hellmares, the maverick attitude to IT. She even buys him a chicken Kiev. Now... Now we get this nerve-shreddingly intense scene between the pair of them. Yes, granted, it's basically exposition. But the writing and the acting is so strong. It's... Look, say what you want. But I don't think you could get Julianne Moore explaining to Al Pacino that hellmares are a combination of hell and nightmares and have nothing to do with female horses. And even they couldn't have done it better than Mike and Bo did. Personally... I'd have liked to have seen the Academy show them some consideration for this scene alone. I mean, it was Driving Miss Daisy which won that year. Outstanding picture, but I think it shows they were a little hard up for quality in 1989. Okay, so Clara is literally blowing O'Halloran's mind here because she knows about Hellmares. She knows they're a cross between Nightmares and Hell. He's amazed. But most importantly, she knows where they originated from. Ancient Greece. That was Jerry's idea. Outstanding writer, Jerry. Wrote all the Interceptors movie. But he wasn't working with me on this, and I hadn't seen him for a while. I remember this clearly. It was 2am on a Tuesday morning, and the phone rang. It was Jerry. I could tell immediately that he'd been on coke for a while, more than the day. I didn't judge. Why would I? It was the 80s. Anyway, before I had a chance to say anything, he just went, Sherry, Hellmares are from Ancient Greece. And then he screamed this piercing, blood-curdling scream and hung up. Didn't even know I was making a film, apparently. Woke up in a milking shed on the Falkland Isles a few days later. No idea how he got there. Which was very Jerry. So this tense double-header as Clara tells O'Halloran about Hellmares. She explains that they're a 
psychophonic disturbance from a time when ancient gods walked the earth. And so, this is where Jerry's phone call came into play. So history tells us that ancient gods lived in ancient Greece, up some sort of mountain. Therefore, it stands to reason that Helmers must have come from ancient Greece as well. So now we have a motivation for a dramatic change of location and a very genuine historical bedrock to what is clearly a very fantastical situation. Now, structurally, this is very smart because whilst, yes, we are learning what the Helmers actually are, we are at the same time being introduced to the enigma of Clara. Who is she? How does she know so much about O'Halloran and Helmers? It hides revelation in mystery. Now, you don't tell me that any other film was doing that in 1988. Certainly not driving Miss Daisy, that's for sure. No disrespect, though, obviously. As I say, outstanding picture. So they set off for Greece. Well, I say Greece. Actually, it was a remote lake in New England. We made a replica Acropolis out of balsa wood and we just kept it in soft focus the whole time. We just didn't have the budget for Greece. See, whilst Joy's Hellmare effects were stunning, they were also budget intensive. You think that much blood, excretia and replica goat's heads come cheap? Well, let me tell you, they don't. I mean, it was the 80s. It was a different time. We didn't even have eBay. So now we're in Greece. And O'Halloran is basically existing in a constant hellmare. He can't tell what's real and what isn't. He sees a toilet. He doesn't know if it's really a toilet or a computer. Which is a terrifying prospect for anyone. But it's even worse for someone who works in computers. Actually, I suppose it's even worse for someone who needs to use the bathroom. They need to get to the Temple of the First Man, which is an ancient sort of church where the first men worshipped the mysterious demon gods that had unleashed the Hellmares on the world. The temple was set to be a magnificent ruin on a high cliff face by a magnificent waterfall, dominating the skylines for miles around, but budgets... So we just used the cave behind a 7-Eleven, which actually gave it an outstanding quality of light. Now people say to me, Mr Monkhouse, I say, hey, call me Sheridan. They say they'd feel uncomfortable. I understand that. They ask why, after the Interceptor's pictures, I agreed to make Hellmare on such a small budget. I tell them, I say, budgets are nothing. Budgets, they make you lazy. Look at Citizen Kane. You think that had a budget? That had no budget. And that's the greatest film of all time. Well, at the time it was. I mean, we're in a post-Lord of the Rings world now. But the thing is, Orson Welles couldn't have made that Citizen Kane with a big budget. It would have been a different picture. There'd have been James Stewart and musical numbers and an army of performing dogs. It simply wouldn't have been the film it was. Now, obviously, I'm not saying Hell Mary's Citizen Kane. I mean, it's a horror. They're different genres. In terms of quality, though, well, who am I to judge? So now we've reached the climax of the picture. And to throw off the curse of the Hellmare, O'Halloran needs to do battle with the ancient creature that unleashed the Hellmares upon his head. And this is going to come down to a fistfight between good and evil, between man and giant goat-headed man. Ah, yes, the goat-headed man. Now again... My original idea was to have a giant demon creature with all blood and pus and whatnot. But we had to rethink what we could do. 
And this is what I mean when I say that small budgets force a great creativity on the filmmaker. Because I thought back to Joy's first Helmer scene. And we had that mysterious goat-headed man in the background. Never explained. A mystery. So now, we tie it together and find out that it's the goat-headed man that is actually the cause of all the Hellmares in the world. And O'Halloran has to punch it in the face. This has been divisive. Can you really defeat a goat-headed demon capable of unleashing terrifying Hellmares on the world simply by punching it in the face? I don't know. Science simply hasn't advanced far enough to tell us. But I think that, in many ways, this scene is more of a psychological battle within O'Halloran. I mean, it's not specified in any way that this is anything other than a man literally punching a goat-headed demon in the face. But that's the incredible power of films and themes and symbolism. A man punching a goat-headed demon in the face could mean many different things to many different people. And I think that it's that ambiguity within the context of a very explicit scene of violence that makes this so intensely powerful. But the masterstroke with Helmare wasn't the Helmares themselves, the goat-headed demon, the temple of the first man, or the computers turning into toilets. This was all just dressing for what the film is really about. Clara. You see, this film is about Clara's relationship with O'Halloran, and it's this twist, here, that elevates it from just a standard horror movie like The Exorcist or Frankenstein. The mystery of Clara. Who is she? How did she know so much about O'Halloran and Helmers and Chicken Kievs? And here we see the stunning revelation. Clara is O'Halloran's dead mum. This obviously floored everyone, even me. I remember that, again, this was Jerry's suggestion. Even though he wasn't working on this film, he was a great friend and inspiration, and I'd often sound him out on particularly tricky plot points. He'd got back from the Falklands and was living out of a motel room on the outskirts of the city. One evening I had a call from the manager to say that Jerry was on the roof again with no pants on. Outstanding man, Jerry. Little unstable. So to try and calm him down... I started working through the difficulty I was having with the character of Clara, who, at the time, had entered into a physical relationship with O'Halloran. It was then, just as a police officer was forcibly putting Jerry into a pair of sweatpants, that he suggested Clara could be O'Halloran's mum. What, I said, and take away all the sex stuff between him and Clara? He said no, but on reflection I'm glad we did. There was some fairly racy stuff in there and I'm not sure that people were ready for a reasonably explicit nudity between mother and son. But hey, it was the 80s, what do I know? Maybe it would have worked. But I wanted more than that. Clara is an enigma. Just being O'Halloran's mother isn't enough. So, she's his dead mother. Is she a ghost? No. She is the bond between a dead mum and her son personified in the form of a very attractive woman with big hair. People say that it's stupid. Surely O'Halloran would recognise his own mother. Why did she have a different name? I say the mystery of the supernatural are beyond our knowing. Now, here we see, there, we flick back through key scenes and see that Clara wasn't actually there. It was just O'Halloran. She was entirely in his head. Or was she? I mean, come on. 
You can't tell me that David Fincher hadn't watched Hellmare before he made Fight Club. It's the same idea. It's right there. So we end with the sun rising over the desert, as O'Halloran stands over the slumped body of the goat-headed demon that he's just punched in the face. Clara is nowhere to be seen, and O'Halloran understands that she was his mother, and she saved him. Outstanding, moving, an iconic ending. Now it's a difficult picture, I can't deny it. It didn't review well at the time, and it was considered something of a flop. But the fact that people still watch it, they still enjoy it. Yes, there are plot holes. Why O'Halloran? What are Hellmares? Why is that guy wearing a goat head? But at its heart is a picture about the bond of motherhood, albeit with blood, excrement and demons. And I think that's why it's endured for all these years. But what about the curse? I don't know. It's not something I really want to. All I know is it only lasted a few weeks in theatres. So a lot of people never got to see it on the big screen, which is perhaps the worst sort of curse of all. Director's Commentary, the Sheridan Monkhouse Collection, an off-target production by Neil Tolfrey. Now I learned a great deal about eroticism from this picture, not least that having a wash can be profoundly erotic if it's in soft focus and slow motion.